0: Welcome back to the official SASTA podcast with your host Harry Stebbings at HStebbings on Snapchat and brought to you by the one and only Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter. Now for the show today I thought it's been a while since we had a truly great SAS investor on the show and when thinking who to have I decided to resort to asking the always reliable Brad Feld. Now Brad immediately stated Greg Sands, founder and managing partner of Costanoa Venture Capital. So I'm delighted to welcome Greg to the show today and prior to founding Costanoa, Greg was a managing Director at Sutter Hill, where he was an early investor in the likes of FeedBurner, All Business, and Return Path, just to name a few. And prior to Sutter Hill, Greg was the first hire at Netscape after its founding engineering team. As Netscape's first product manager, he wrote the initial business plan, coined the name Netscape, and created the sweet spot business unit, which he grew from zero to 150 million in revenue. He also served as manager of business development at Cisco, where he architected a global channel management plan. However, enough from me. So, without further ado, I'm delighted to handover to greg sands at costanova venture capital good that's perfect okay
1: i think we're warmed up
0: greg absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today thank you so much for joining me
1: absolutely i'm
0: thrilled to be here now i'd love to get the ball rolling today and discuss how you made your way into venture in the first place and then the opportunity that you saw for investing in early stage b2b with with costanova
1: well, so, uh, first, I, I think that, you know, in some ways, the easiest way to get into the venture industry is to be, you know, in product management at a seminal company of its era. And I was fortunate enough to be the first product manager at Netscape, you know, where I wrote the first business plan, shipped our early products, and then was responsible for building the business around our suite of server software called SweetSpot. So I think being... (laughs) The the first thing that helps is being in the right place at the right time. Uh, But I think it does... It is instructive in the sense that, uh, navigating oneself to, uh, key technologies and key companies. And with that, networks of really talented people who will go out to do interesting things over time is the thing that makes one very attractive to other venture firms. So I, you know, I got a call from the folks at, at, at Sutter Hill Ventures and that, uh, uh, began a dialogue, uh, with them and a handful of, of, of other firms. Uh, so that, that really is the, uh, was the entry point for me. And,
0: and in terms of the opportunity that you saw in early stage B2B for, for a smaller firm like Costanoa, how, how did you see that play out? And what was the kind of aha moment for the realization of the funding gap that did exist?
1: Well, I think the, so. the interesting thing, the firm was uh, founded in uh, 2012. So I was really deep in thought about it in 2011. And the thing that was clear at that time is that there were uh, there, there really had been recreation of the early stage industry on the consumer side, so super angels became micro VCs, and you know you had um, already seen folks like uh, you know whether it's Jeff Clavier or Dave McClure or others creating newer firms. Uh, Steve Anderson at Baseline being another great example, uh, but principally focused on the consumer segment certainly at that time. And it occurred to me that there really ha- that that nothing similar had happened in. In the you know business to business SaaS enterprise oriented uh, part of venture, which is about half of the investable IT landscape, and that's really where I've spent my whole time. I think the other thing that uh, became so clear to me, in particular with the development of uh, of the cloud platforms and you know the available programming abstractions, that basically it costs less than ever before to get a product into market. Also on the, you know, in, in the SaaS ecosystem. And what's interesting about that is that there are still, it can be very expensive to do these sales and marketing. To build a large-scale SaaS business, but that initial product development and getting to product market fit can be very capital efficient, and so that's really where we wanted to go, spend our time, uh, and that's played out uh, over the last over the last four years. You mentioned the
0: migration of
1: consumer angels upstream into
0: more institutional funds, as you said, there, soft tech kind of your lower cases, uh, 500. Uh, but I'm intrigued. Why do you not think there was this migration in the B2B? As you said, the cost of of kind of starting businesses was going down in both. Consumer and B two B. So why was there not the migration in B two B until you came along? Do you think
1: uh, it has slightly different characteristics? So I think the the common wisdom was that it takes so much capital that you can't. You know, many of those folks started out with seven or ten or twelve million dollars, and so the notion of a B two B focused fund where you know there are going to be financing rounds, you know, an A and a B and a C. Uh, and you don't have the capital to support them yourself puts you at risk. Whereas in the consumer sector, Instagram can happen to you in a year and you can put numbers on the board without having, without having done that. As it turns out, uh, I I think the strategy in the B2B segment is different. I mean, we are not a, what one would think of as a, seed fund where one thinks of people writing, whether it's a hundred K or 500 K checks and doing that 25 times a year where we principally invest, you know, two to $5 million. We do that four or five times a year focused, you know, by stage and sector, but also even, you know, we might have 15 companies in fund two. So it's a very focused, strategy and i think that makes sense for the sectors in which we operate
0: in terms of SaaS investing one thing that i always find very annoying when people say it to me and it happens occasionally is the kind of SaaS businesses are spreadsheets and SaaS investing it's it's just trash and capital so I, i'm really intrigued you said there about your investment thesis to what extent you agree with the trash and capital statement and how much of a role metrics play for you in the decision making process
1: well, our job is to be there uh, before the metrics are fully developed and to help companies put those numbers on the board. So I think the, that statement may be applicable to later stage SaaS. And there are certainly a bunch of, and even very good and insightful, later stage SaaS investors. But we're investing sometimes at company formation, uh, sometimes when product is just coming to market or they might have five or ten customers, and I can guarantee you that the CAC to LTV ratios don't look good at that point. So our job is to invest in product-oriented founders and then help them march through the, the initial market entry and the early phases of the sales learning curve in order to manufacture numbers that ultimately look good and you know it's hard and it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time but it is uh you know we're, we're investing before the numbers look good so um it isn't trash it isn't easy and it isn't paint by numbers
0: what are the biggest challenges those companies face then in in attempting to get to the numbers required for those big series a b2b rounds that they're looking for
1: so, certainly, one of them uh, that we work with a lot is you've got uh, product-oriented founders who've engaged in customer discovery, they've uh, built first product, those initial customers who are betas are, you know, happy to convert, uh, they sell a couple more customers, and then the question is, who do we hire next? We we know we want to have a fully built commercial organization, by which I really mean sales, marketing, customer success, and uh, but but where do we start? Who who do I hire first? Is it sales or is it marketing? If it's sales, is it a VP of sales? Is it an individual contributor? And so, you know, I often describe that problem as which brick to place first. You know, we, we tend to, I, I mean, founders struggle with that and we struggle with it right alongside them, where I think usually it's hiring. An individual contributor sales rep, but it's a sales rep who might be a little less experienced but a little higher clock rate than your regular coin-operated salesperson because the, the person is still running experiments and trying to think through what works and doesn't work. So it's often sales first and then marketing uh, and individual contributor rather than VP. But that's one example of the big problems that companies work with during that early stage. I think the other one, if I were to just highlight two, is the question of how horizontal versus vertical to operate so if you take a you know a company that uh, for example uh, i 'll use an example of a, of a company that i 'm in, in, involved in uh, so intact i 'm on the board of it's the you know largest uh, provider of cloud based ERP uh, solutions, uh, the largest independent one now that uh, Oracle has bought Netsuite. You know, in some ways, accounting is a is is a pretty horizontal problem. And on the other hand, boy, everybody needs it slightly differently, and there are these deep vertical requirements. And so this um, the well, this is a more developed company. We've got things we're incubating right now that are facing exactly this problem, which is, oh, I've got signal in three or four different industries, companies of different sizes. In one case, the buyer is a finance buyer. In the other case, it's a line of business buyer. And you're telling me to be focused. You're telling me to pick industry or buyer persona or company size or something else and really drive through it. But I don't know which one to pick. And so, to me, that's fundamentally a product management exercise, and which is why I think coming out of the, both my partner and I come out of, uh, out of product management, and I think it's a uh, critically important discipline for early stage venture investors to have.
0: I'm really, there's too much to unpack there but one one thing that I'm intrigued by is uh, you said about kind of wh- who do you hire next on that first one and I've got questions on the second on the first you said who do you hire next I was recently chatting to some guys at Gainsight um, obviously customer success uh, solution uh, and, and they say kind of customer success should be your first hire to what extent do you agree with this obviously it's from Gainsight so it might be slightly biased but to what extent do you agree with it and to what extent then do you agree that customer success 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 should be part of your early thought process from the beginning?
1: I think generally, uh, it's right. It should be a very early hire. Now, the question of whether it's first or your first sales rep is first is, uh, you know, is, I think, uh, honestly debatable and it will be different for, for different companies. But it does play a critically important role. In both cases, to me, the thing that I come back to is you want those people to be ones who can think, not just execute because their critical role is feeding information back into the product development process. And so I think the, the, you know Nick's argument and the Gainsight argument is great customer success people who are deeply engaged with, their, with your customers and will help be terrific advocates and help them be successful, so you get referenceability, that's great. But they're also engaged enough to know what's working, what's not working, what needs to be fixed, and where there are additional problems to solve. Where do people end up exporting data out of your application and importing it into Excel and doing separate manipulations?" frankly, a problem you ought to solve for.
0: And you mentioned there one sales rep. Jason Lamkin obviously advocates for two sales reps and to go in competition so you find the most effective. Do you find that to be a particularly productive uh, strategy to finding out effective salespeople or do you prefer the slower approach of one at a time?
1: I, I think I think uh, two in a box is, is is great, right? You do, I tend to think more, uh, so I don't, I don't like internal competition and creating internal enemies i mean i just don't think it's that productive uh but i think the notion that says look we have different people with different skill sets work in different territories and they're going to run a bunch of experiments and we're going to figure out what works let's be clear the founder or the founders are the first sales rep you know hiring the sales rep before you know when a founder says hey we've got the product built we don't have any customers now we just need to hire a sales guy at that point the meeting is over Right. The founders have to sell the early customers. But the question is, how can they, you know, founders are charismatic. They carry the CEO business card. They invented the product. They can command company resources. You know, if a sales rep commits to a new feature, uh, in a meeting without talking to the rest of the team, they get fired right? So they have to sell in a very different way. And what they're trying to invent is the process by which a mere mortal can sell this this product. And I do think hiring a class of two uh, is a productive way to get started. I think the question is, what do those two look like? How senior are they? How much domain experience do they have? Uh, and, and the like. And what I've found is that those first two tend to be, rather than being what I'll call professional coin-operated salespeople, ones that are um, younger, smarter, more nimble, really scrappy, uh, frankly, may not be great sales reps at when the company is at scale, are the better profile for those sorts of people because they're thinking more, running more experiments, interpreting that data. Um, They don't think that they know it all. And you can't sell a product with few referenceable customers the way Someone has been selling Oracle. It just doesn't work.
0: And we mentioned kind of before about the lack of metrics, and that's kind of how we led to the challenges that are inherent within this stage. So in terms of the metric-driven approach there, in terms of assessing product market fit then as we move upstream, how do you look to assess product market fit at such an early stage? And what are the questions you really startups need to ask to determine whether they have true product market fit?
1: So I think the whole industry gets that product market fit is important the question and that of what exactly is it and how do I know when I have it is one that is really not very well answered. And I will assure you that 90% of the people who come into our office declare that they, that they have it. We talk to customers and even prospects, you know, what we're trying to figure out is how big is the problem? Is it worth solving? Uh, what other approaches have they attempted to use to solve it? Are there other software solutions? Is it a manual effort? Um, how well do they make decisions? How much value is lost in their current methods and will be created if it's, you know, if it's well managed? That tells us whether it's a, an opportunity that's big enough to want to be part of. Now, to have product market fit, y'all, Obviously have to have product. So you're talking to beta customers or people who are, you know, people who are already using it. And I think it's open ended questions like what are the top three things that it's doing for you? What are the top three things that it isn't doing for you? Uh, are there other people in your organization that, that are using it? Where are you exporting or importing data from other systems? You know, Ben Horowitz used to say when he was at Opsware, uh, so Ben and I obviously work closely together at Netscape, basically, if we've got to ship a 1.0 product, there are only five people on my company who can lead that effort. If we've got to do a 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0 product, you know, I've got 30 people to do it. If we have a new project and one of my five people aren't available, then we have to buy it. We can't build it. That discipline of what's the 1.0 product manager? And I think we as venture early stage venture investors need to think and act like 1.0 product managers. And so do founders and to be comfortable with those qualitative questions by the time you're in market and you're really, and, and, and you're really going. I think the, the real question around product market fit is can you Tell a sales rep how to qualify a customer by size, sector, buyer persona, you know, whether they're forward leaning or retro leaning, what other systems a company has. And can, if you tell them precisely and they qualify the customer and they get to the right persona, can they close them successfully the majority of the time, you know, literally like over 50% of the time and Uh, Then can you onboard them and make them successful so that you're delivering the value that they expect? And to me, the thing about product market fit is repeatability and understanding how that works. And again, that's a that's very much, you know, what I'll call a, you know, enterprise and business to business view of it but that's what it means in the SaaS landscape.
0: How important do you think it is to have a very defined uh, kind of customer profile, avatar, target customer for you when you're attempting product market fit without being too specific?
1: I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I think this notion of a, you know, of a customer archetype and and it can be, you know, one or two or maybe three, but I you know, when I was a product manager and it admittedly was a long time ago, you know, we would say, this is who we built this release for, right? And th- that initial requirements would then map back to when, when we were, in this case, it was, you know, it was old-fashioned waterfall development. Six months later, go roll it out to the sales force, And you just turn over that same piece of paper and say, look, this is who we built it for. If you find a customer that looks like this, that, that's your roadmap. You can close them 80% of the time or we haven't done our job. You know, there's no product market fit without market. And market requires really clear customer segmentation. And I, I think you actually can't do the work uh, without having a clear view of that.
0: And I'd love to dive into a quick fire round now. So 60 seconds faster. So 60 seconds per answer. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. So, is it easier or harder to raise now for early stage SaaS startups than prior years?
1: I think it's a little bit harder right now than it was over the last three or four years. Uh, but I would think of this as a normal market, not a bad one. And then, favorite SaaS reading material. What are your must reads? So, I tend to read more about. I mean, there are obviously a bunch of uh, great venture capital bloggers and, and you know and writers. I tend to try to read more about. Product, So it's the old stalwarts would be people like Steve Blank and Eric Reese and uh, Marty Kagan, with whom I worked at Netscape, and his organization, Silicon Valley Product Group, has done a couple of events for us. Um, more recently, I've added uh, John Cutler, who I think has done a really nice job blogging about, about uh, product issues.
0: Biggest advice to SaaS founders, what do you find yourself most often kind of repeating to early stage founders? Who did you build the product for? And then a kind of full-stack CEO, we've seen a rise of full-stack CEOs. Do you
1: prefer full-stack or are you more of a specialized man? I actually think the CEO ultimately needs, needs to become full-stack CEO. And I think the, you know, to me, this question of does the whole business compile. Do the pieces work together? And so, you know, I've written about this notion of sort of the kinesthetic chain that flows through a business. And it's, and it's great to be a product oriented founder to come from one discipline, but ultimately, You know, if you're a product-oriented founder, you need to be responsible for hiring and managing a VP of sales and a VP of marketing and a VP of customer success in order to be a successful CEO. And, uh, and that requires incredible dedication to learning. So the best in the business, you know, people like Jeff Fernandez at Grovo and, and, and and others have just spent, they dedicate themselves to learning and getting better every day and they can manage all those functions, even though they didn't come from them. But yes, in the long run, you've got to commit yourself to being a full stack CEO. Who's your biggest mentor and how did it come about? Ah, that is a fascinating question. I think, you know, I would say leaving a big firm and starting Costanoa has meant, has made me more dedicated to accepting mentorship and knowing how to do that. Uh, And there are, you know certainly many, but Fred Wilson is is among them. Um, Fred was the first question, first person I posed the question to. Okay, if I were actually going to go start a firm, how would I go do that? <laughs> and then Fred and Brad and a couple of others ended up being key mentors and investing in the you know in the fund and and uh, helping me as I thought through the issues about how we build the firm and the like. So, uh, but but I'll, I'll put Fred uh, you know first first on that list.
0: Uh, and then let's finish today by by a very open and macro question. So. It's rather unfair of me, but what greenfield opportunity in SaaS are you really excited by, and, and how do you think that affects how you view prospective opportunities that come to you?
1: You know, in SaaS, and we do some work in you know enterprise infrastructure and the like too. But to me, in, in the in the SaaS ecosystem, the uh, the great opportunity is machine learning for X. And so, but let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, when I uh, first announced the firm, the blog post was. You know, basically, you know, what the fuck is applied big data? And today it would be, you know, what the fuck is applied machine learning? Because they're basically, it's the big data stack. Machine learning is basically built on the big data stack. So the um, incredible variety of sensors, uh, which includes clickstream traffic, but uh, but also, you know, and, and, uh, you know, mobile sensors and new hardware elements and the like creates it, this incredible amount of, of of data. The modern NoSQL stack lets you manage it and analyze it. Machine learning lets you operate on it. So the thing that I am so interested in is how do we attach it to the really high-value customer problems and how do we play a unique role in the sourcing of the data um, because I have this theory that basically um, better data trumps better algorithms and so the algorithms matter. But if you can, um, you take... Successful cases for us like data Logics, which was sold to Oracle, and this notion that actually proprietary data where you're in the data stream is a long-term source of uh, sustainable advantage. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, looking for right now and, uh, and excited to talk to any entrepreneurs that have opportunities in, the, in, uh, in that space.
0: Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really has been fantastic to hear your perspective building Costanoa. So I'm so grateful to you for giving up the time.
1: It was my pleasure and uh, congrats to you on, on your success in, uh, in, uh, in, in building the show. I, you've done an amazing job and I think are one of the people who are helping, uh, what I'll say, open source the venture capital industry
0: what a fantastic guest Greg was and a huge hand to him for giving up his time today stay to appear on the show and for the very kind words at the end there very much appreciated and if you'd like to stay in the world of Sasta then you can follow me on Snapchat at H Stebbings you can follow Greg on Twitter at G Sands and you can follow Jason on Twitter at Jason LK likewise if you want to find a whole host more articles from Sasta then head over to sasta.com that's S-A-A-S-T-R dot com where you can find all the articles but old podcasts transcripts the whole lot as always we so appreciate all your support and look very forward to bringing you next week's episode